Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So last year, Paul McCartney, most famous, of course, from his time with the Beatles, was on an Apple Music podcast. And one of the things they talked about was his favorite Beatles song. Do you know what Paul McCartney's favorite Beatles song was? You might know what your favorite Beatles song is. He said his was, you know my name, look up the number, which is this like little uh, B-side on the back of the Let It Be record single. Uh, He said it's a zany, zany little B-side, nobody knows, but they had fun making it. Um, If you look it up and listen to it, you will go, I don't know why you would make this. Or put it out for public consumption, but you have, and you did. Um, He talked about a few other songs, Hey Jude, Blackbird, these kinds of things, but he said that was his favorite. You know my name, look up the number. Um, It's a deep cut, essentially. You know what that is, right? A deep cut in music. This song that's maybe not well known or or not that popular. This obscure, little-known work by those who are well-known. And usually, if you say that you like a deep cut, you're you're trying to earn some credibility, right? You're trying to say you're either the true connoisseur, uh, the true artist. You're not a casual fan. You know all about uh, the deep cuts. Um, And to be honest, that's what I thought about um, when we came to our gospel reading today, Mark 7. This is a deep cut. I mean, I think most of us, we, we think of Jesus as a healer, right? Jesus doing miracles, uh, but this is not one of his most well-known accounts. Um, It's not a greatest hits for Jesus. Um, In fact, this short account, verses 31 through 37 of chapter 7, um, we only get it in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, We don't find this account in any other uh, of the Gospels. Um, On its own, it's a little bit strange. It's a bit earthy when you read through it. Uh, But in context, it it fits brilliantly in this sequence of of miracles and major controversies uh, that have filled this middle part of Mark's gospel. Um, And it occurred to me, again, if you you like deep cuts uh, of your favorite musician or or filmmaker or something like that, um, don't those always take a little extra work to understand, to unlock? You've got to look at the details, and then once you see those details, you realize, oh, this deep cut is almost uh, a perfect encapsulation of what makes this person great. Um, And so I want us to actually do two things. First, zero in to look at this miracle, this deeply uh, personal miracle um, on its own terms. And then I think there's some contours in this that just teach us about all of Jesus's ministry, Um, that you can actually see the shape and, and what it was up to in his ministry with this small Again, pretty obscure, honestly, miracle. Uh, So that's what I want to do this morning. Look at this together. Um, And so we begin in verse 31. Uh, Mark's going to give us some important context. He he puts us uh, on a geographical map. He also puts this clearly on a cultural map as he begins. It says, Then he, Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, in the region of the Decapolis, the 10 cities. Um, Now, it's a strange detail. 
Um, these words may not mean a lot to you unless you have that cool map section in the back of your Bible. That kind of helps. Uh, or one of those cool study Bibles that kind of points things out. Um, it's a little bit vague, but here, here's what you need to know. And I think part of what Mark is trying to communicate, if you start with Tyre, uh, Tyre is this, is this region north of Israel. Uh, it's kind of present-day Syria. Some of it's on the coast. They have some resort areas there. Um, and so if Tyre is here, Sea of Galilee is here, the Decapolis is down here. And what Mark says is that Jesus went from here to here by going through Sidon, which is up here. In other words, he goes completely out of his way. And so whenever Jesus goes completely out of his way, it's worth paying attention. Because he's probably doing one or maybe two things at the same time. First, um, he's, he's going out of his way to encounter someone specifically. Um, we see this in, in the Gospel of John when Jesus goes through Samaria, which was kind of no-go land uh, for his contemporaries. And he went there to encounter uh, the woman at the well. He was on a mission uh, to encounter her. And so Jesus goes out of his way uh, to encounter people, to teach his disciples, maybe about, hey, this is the, kind of a no-go zone. Uh, certainly Tyre and Sidon, those are no-go zones. Uh, those are where uh, the Gentiles live or, or those who are not faithful Jews live if they want to associate with Gentiles. Um, and the other thing that I do think is probably part of what's going on is all of these chapters we've been in in Mark, Mark 7, there's a lot of controversy. Controversy is raging around Jesus. And the, so there's a little bit of a sense in which he's probably also bypassing that. So he goes completely out of his way, the wrong direction, through Gentile territory. Um, th this is a, we're, we're not in Kansas anymore. That, that's the sense we should have when we hear that that's what Jesus is doing. Anything can happen. Um, and, and we should always be assured that Jesus' path may be unexpected, but that he is perfectly led uh, by the Father. He's doing what God has given him to do. And so that, that kind of just frames this scene for us. Verse 32 introduces us to a man. We don't know much about him. Uh, we don't even know his name. Uh, he at least had some semblance of community. There, there are people who bring him to Jesus. He doesn't come to Jesus on his own, and this group brings him, and they beg Jesus uh, to lay his hands on him, uh, to heal this man. And there's other accounts where we hear, hear that Jesus went around this region and healed a lot of people, so maybe this is one of those that he healed. It, it kind of looks and sees what's happening. We're just told that this man is, is deaf, and he has a speech impediment. We don't know if he was born with this. We don't know if it developed uh, over time. Uh, sometimes you might actually hear this called the healing of the deaf and mute man. Um, and, and I would just say it looks like this man can utter sounds. It's just, it's just twisted. Um, he's either got a speech impediment physically or, or most have said it's very likely that because of his hearing impairment, um, he just wasn't able to learn normal language and speech uh, the way you or, or I would. Um, but it's just there's clearly this communication uh, challenge can't hear, can't speak, uh, can't speak clearly. So then the next few verses are pretty interesting. Verse 33 says, And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he puts his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, 
Verse 34, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him in Aramaic, be opened. Interesting, right? So what's Jesus doing? First, he takes him aside privately. And I just want to suggest that's a beautiful gesture. Because what he's doing is he's actually giving this man dignity and privacy of what's going to happen. Uh, He's pulling him aside to have this one-on-one encounter with this man. Um, What else is happening? Well, Jesus is not showing off. He's not trying to have this man be be turned further into a spectacle. Um, There's a dignity to it. Um, And and then we see Jesus. He's he's guiding and he's he's touching. He's spitting. Um, Yesterday, my daughter was running around the house giving wet willies which are really gross, right? They're, they're gross. We had to say, don't do that anymore. Please, please, seriously, stop doing that. Um, what's Jesus doing? He's, he's touching this guy's ears. He's spitting in his hands, putting it on his tongue. He's sighing. He, he's doing all this. It's, it's a little gross. Um, and, and I guess further, does Jesus need to do this? I mean, there are many times when Jesus is going to do something miraculous. Um, I mean, throughout Mark, whether he has calmed a storm or or brought someone back to life, or cast out a demon. Mark usually makes the point, he does it very directly. There's no uh, incantation, or ritual, or special motion he has to do. Uh, There's no mumbo-jumbo associated with it. Jesus just heals, or he casts out a demon, or he stills, stills the storm. So what's he doing here? I think it's very significant to think through the fact that Jesus didn't need to do any of this touching or sighing or guiding or groaning? It's, it's for this man's benefit. It, it, so he can perceive a little bit of what's, what's going on. It's, it's, it's actually tender, nonverbal communication that Jesus is doing as he guides him. And, he, hey, your ears are going to get better. And then he touches his on his tongue. Your, your speech is going to get better. He's showing this man what's happening. Um, He's entering this nonverbal world, which is this man's world. He comes to him on his own terms, communicating in ways that that only this man can understand because there's this communication issue. But Jesus wants to cross that threshold with this man. And then from another angle, if you were with us last week, we talked a lot about things being clean or unclean, washing of hands, that kind of thing. Uh, Well, this follows right on the heels. Um, And and I think it actually demonstrates part of what Jesus was saying last week. He he makes things clean. They don't make him unclean. Uh, Tim Gombas, who's who's written a commentary on Mark, says throughout Mark, Jesus had been touching people he's not supposed to touch. But here things get extreme. Not only does he touch this man, he, he puts his fingers in his ears, spits in his hands, touches the man's tongue. I mean, if you're a germaphobe, that's a little gross, right? I mean, even if it's Jesus, you're like, I don't know, man. This is <laughs> a little bit much. Um, Tim Gombus says, far from being concerned as the Pharisees about contracting uh, impurity unintentionally, Jesus goes out of his way um, to be tactile, to touch in these, in these culturally almost offensive ways. He, he's not affected by their notions of cleanness and uncleanness, purity and impurity. Why? Because he is an agent of the kingdom of God. He's actually driving away uncleanness and impurity wherever he goes. And it's as if Mark is just uh, just making sure we get the point, almost to the point of being obnoxious. 
Look at what Jesus is doing. Look how he's making all things new. How God's renewing power is so great, there's nothing to fear. And so and then in verse 35, we have this immediate response. Immediately, his ears were opened. His tongue was released. And he spoke plainly. What an incredible thing. Thanks be to God. This man is never the same. He's healed after his encounter with Jesus. Um, and I think maybe the reason we don't completely know his name is he's also like a, a walking around on two legs parable. Because this is what Jesus is hoping. Because all of these religious leaders, even his disciples, they're not listening. They may have ears, but they don't hear. Um, they have mouths, but they aren't speaking clearly. And, and so that, that inability to, to have ears of faith um, is kind of what's part of what's going on here as well. He, he wants them to hear his message and respond appropriately. All right, that, that's this miracle itself. Um, I, I think this is part of, it's just, it kind of helps us go, what do we even think Jesus is doing with miracles? And I want to say that the entire shape of this the entire shape of miracles in Jesus' ministry is that of new creation. It's a lot of what's going on here. Um, and, and by the way, you probably saw in these verses, Jesus tells them to, to not tell anybody, to keep it quiet. That doesn't work. Uh, they tell everybody. They, no one can keep a secret in the book of Mark. Um, and, and if you've read Mark, you see that theme over and over again, right? Keep this quiet. It's not time to tell them yet. Um, lots of speculation on that. Most would just say Jesus... Um, was aware that there's a danger to come to him for just what he can do. Um, that, that he is this kind of vending machine of health and wealth for people. And then in some ways, Jesus wanted to wait until his ministry had played out. Um, so, that, so that when we think about Jesus, we, we have this miraculous healer in mind, but we also have in mind this one who went to the cross for us and for our salvation. This one who rose again from the dead. It's in some ways Jesus is saying, hey, wait until this all happens so people don't get the wrong idea or come to me for the wrong reason. Um, he, here's the work that I'm about. Um, and, and it even tells us that the miracles themselves aren't always the point. Jesus is teaching as these miracles occur. He's, he's announcing the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, he's announcing God's new creation is finally uh, coming among us and starting. I mean, even now, if people experience miraculous healing from the Lord, um, it's an announcement of God's kingdom and, and a sign of new creation. Uh, Tim Gombas, he, he, this is who, he kind of showed me this new creation shape. He says, Scripture uh, tells the story of creation through to new creation. That's one thread you can take through the entire Bible. You can read it that way. Where God creates a good world in which humanity would flourish along with all of creation Enjoying God's presence, glorifying God in all things, and then sin ravages that good creation. It messes everything up. But God is at work in Jesus to make all things new. And so throughout Mark, when Jesus is going about doing his ministry, he's enacting the kingdom of God. He's bringing this powerful, life-giving reality that's depicted by an invasion of purity, driving out demons, Acts of healing, human brokenness, and sickness. It's not that he's this, um, you know, just like you go to the urgent care. It's that he's this walking agent of new creation. Um, 
that, that all these things that were made good, that have been twisted, God is restoring them and redeeming them in and through Jesus. So he, he's getting rid of the effects of sin as he, as he walks about. Uh, there, there's some interesting details in here that tell us that's kind of what's happening here. Um, there, there are these intentional echoes, these, these callbacks throughout this little deep cut that, that evoke the entire story of the Bible and, and tell us that this is a, a new creation story. I want to highlight just a few. Um, and they're like these little Easter eggs in the text. Um, the first is this last, uh, this last line here. He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Um, that's a remarkable line. I just want to take it apart for a moment. Um, because again, they're astonished. So he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. He has done all things well. That's actually creation language. Um, it's not just like, you know, after a Georgia game and they win and they all high five. By the way, being here at the nine o'clock service after a late Georgia game, you have earned points <laughs> for the kingdom. But anyways, um, when, I mean, think about the book of Genesis. If you've read Genesis, that first chapter where God is creating, there's this little refrain. It goes through the whole thing. God did this, and he saw that it was good. God did this. He saw that it was good. God did that. He saw that it was good. God made humans. He saw that it was very good. Jesus does this act of new creation. There's an audience, and they say, oh, he does all things well. It is good. He saw, they saw that it was good. This is creation language that's coming here. This is new creation language. Uh, it's cluing us into this idea that these miracles, again, are not magic tricks. They're demonstrating God's coming kingdom. They, they call forth adoration and praise. Uh, we should read this and, and have it call forth hope. Because the one who began these acts of new creation will bring it to completion. He is trustworthy and able to do it. Um, we find ourselves echoing St. Julian of Norwich, who in the midst of great sickness, great suffering, said, all shall be well. And all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. When we see a miracle of new creation, that's the kind of hope uh, that we can have. And then look at the other part of that. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Well, friends, this is Messiah language. Um, Joe read it for us from the prophet Isaiah. That there would be this one who would come, the servant of the Lord, this Messiah, uh, that the, the redeeming work he would do would be like a new creation. Uh, it would be God remaking all things again. Um, and it's linked here to that Isaiah 35 passage uh, that we looked at. That, that broader passage says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with uh, joy and singing. They shall see the glory of God. How do they know that's happening? Isaiah says, the deaf hear, the mute speak. It's, it's not just this random fixing someone's hearing. It's showing how God is at work in and through Jesus. Uh, Bishop N.T. Wright, commenting on this passage, says, healing then and perhaps healing now always was and is perhaps supremely so in Jesus, a sign of God's love, breaking into the painful and death-laden present world. It's the life of the world to come invading this present 
uh, broken reality. That's what we see in these acts of healing. And what Mark's trying to say here is, uh, do you see what's happening? The, the blind's eyes are open. Those who are deaf, their ears are open. The, the, the mute, they, they speak. In other words, God has come. Just as Isaiah 35 prophesied and promised, God has come. He's come to save us. He's come as king, and he's come working in and through his son Jesus. That's part of what this is telling us. Okay, the last detail um, actually looks ahead to Romans chapter 8. I'll I'll mention this just as we close this morning. Um, I want to talk about this this groan um, in, in verse 34. It's a little odd, right? Jesus, it says he sighs or he groans. Um, it's, a, it's a heavy word. It's an odd, rare word that's usually a, a mournful sound. Um, this is like a, like a moan like you would hear at a funeral um, is, is what's happening here. Um, and, and someone said maybe Jesus is just identifying with this man's pain. He's, he, he's, there's a bit of empathy there where he knows what this man has been going through and been suffering. Um, but when, when I hear groan, that, that odd expression, groan, um, I just think of Romans 8, especially if we're talking new creation language. I don't know if you've read Romans 8 recently. I feel like everyone will read Romans 8, and there's all this great stuff to take out of Romans 8, and then it gets to the end, and it starts talking about predestination, and we all just run off and get distracted by everything good that has come before. It's like the squirrel just runs off into the woods. But Romans 8 is this incredible chapter, and it's all about groaning, this word, this mournful sigh. Romans 8 says that we who follow Jesus uh, groan in the midst of the sin and suffering of this world. Uh, Romans 8 says that when that's happening, that the Holy Spirit actually groans within us, uh, interceding on our behalf with with groans too deep for words. You might know that, that passage. Um, lamenting all that is wrong, praying for God to come and make all things new, all things right. That's what that groaning prayer is. And it's not just us, it's all of creation. Romans 8, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Verse 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, again, groan inwardly, as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There's a lot going on in this groan from Jesus. That groan, I would say, is telling the story of creation and new creation. That groan tells the the story of our present trouble and the hope we have for future glory. It gives us permission to to grieve, to lament, to look around and say, this isn't right. But it's also this groan that precedes new creation. So we can actually look around and lament and grieve and realize things are wrong, while at the same time it calls forth faith and hope and love that we long for God to do and finish the work he has begun. It reminds us um, of our future inheritance, the the redemption of our bodies, the the glory we have that is to come. Um, All these miracles as acts of new creation, they point in that direction. 
to when God makes all things new, including us. As we say in the Nicene Creed, we believe in the resurrection of the, the body and the life of the world to come. And so may we, in the midst of our sickness and suffering, cling with faith to this same Lord Jesus, this one who did all things well and does all things well and who will make all manner of things well. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please stand.